0: Self-compassion is one way in which compassion flows. So being able to give compassion to ourselves, compassion being when we experience a moment of suffering, recognizing that everyone suffers sometimes and can I be kind to myself in this moment?
1: You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. I am really excited for this interview with Dr. Diana Hill. Diana is a modern psychologist, mom, and co author of the ACT Daily Journal. Get unstuck and live fully with acceptance and commitment therapy. If you are new to wisdom for well being, acceptance and commitment therapy, also called acceptance and commitment training, may be new to you. If you have been listening for a while, I have no doubt that ACT, as it's so commonly called, will be familiar. Diana is also the host of a new podcast called Your Life in Process as well as being one of the co-founders of Psychologists Off the Clock podcast. She blogs for Psychology Today and offers regular teachings in Compassion and ACT for clinicians as well as the general public. Through her online teachings, executive coaching, and private therapy practice, Diana encourages clients to let go of unhealthy striving and build psychological flexibility so that they can live more meaningful and fulfilling lives. She practices what she preaches, living as a mom of two, a homesteader and a yoga teacher. And in fact, we are talking a lot about yoga today, which again, those of you who've been listening to wisdom Wellbeing being regularly would know is something that is so close to my heart. You can head to drdianahill.com. Also, all of her links will be in the show notes as a means of connecting to her. She offers a number of tools around psychological flexibility, and that is exactly what she's sharing with you in this conversation today. Yoga is discussed, how yoga supports Diana in showing up as the person she wants to be. She even shares a little bit today about how she took a step back from her doctorate program from her PhD, to pursue her yoga teacher training, which I think is incredible as an example of how we can put a pause on things that are also important to us to reground and recenter. Those of you who are parents will appreciate her discussion of the three-pronged compassion approach approach, which allows you to really dive into the fact that you are offering loving compassion to your children, you know, to these little people in your world and how that can be fulfilling as well, how that can be a compassion practice that is much needed as much as self-compassion. But without further ado, let me introduce you to Dr. Diana Hill now. Welcome to wisdom for wellbeing. I am delighted to be connecting with you in our, you know, our virtual,
0: (laughs) virtual sort of way and opportunity today. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be so far away from each other, but then also feel connected. It's very cool. Yeah, it really is amazing. And I mean, speaking of because I was
1: saying, you know, I've been following you on Instagram, and I've been seeing this beautiful abode that you've created where you do I think a lot of your um, values based living in some domains and and you're sitting in that beautiful space today. So it feels really connecting. um, And I'm going to say connecting rather than creepy, but it feels really (laughs) lovely.
0: There is always that creepy factor of seeing the insides of people's lives, but I think it's really fun. It's kind of, you get so much of uh, a sense of the person by what they're hanging on the walls and the little knickknacks they have around. There's actually a a practice that sometimes I do with clients in therapy called the belonging box practice, where I, I have them bring in a little box. It has to be a no bigger than a shoebox, and you bring in a box and I want you to bring in some of the things in your life that give you a, that represent a sense of belonging. And it's fun to see what people bring in. They bring in little knickknacks and pictures and, and then share about why this relates to your sense of belonging. So in some ways, I guess we see that in people's zoom rooms. That's
1: amazing. I love that. And it's interesting, because I suppose we're all kind of going the same direction, aren't we with I do this yoga and psychology group. Um, it's It's a therapeutic group that people attend, and we create boom boxes, where similarly, we have these little boxes, and we put little items that, you know, in some ways, I suppose, would serve a sense of connection or represent, you know, our heart and how we want to be showing up in our lives. So this sounds beautifully aligned, which I think is the theme of the conversation, because we're going to be talking about some things Close to both of our hearts today we're going to be talking a little bit about yoga and contemplative practice and also something that is I'm really keen to learn about from you compassion and compassion in motherhood and you know a unique framework but before we dive into all of that Diana would you mind introducing yourself to the listeners who may not have met you before
0: Yes. Well, I am a clinical psychologist. I'm a mom, I'm a partner, a friend, and I like to think of myself as a psychological flexibility guide. And what that means is that I walk alongside folks, whether that's through online teachings or in my private practice to help them become more psychologically flexible, more open and aware and engaged and compassionate, and really moving towards the life that gives them a sense of vitality and meaning.
1: That's incredible. I I really appreciate that you highlighted a number of different roles, a number of different ways you show up in your life in, in kind of sharing with us and that there's a sense of walking along with people, you know, that we're all in this journey of being human and kind of moving forward in our lives together and that we might be able to, you know, support and offer assistance in different ways along this path.
0: Yes. And I think it is a journey because sometimes we get so caught up in the outcome of trying to get somewhere. We lose track of just the process of things and being present in wherever we are in this moment. And how can we engage with this moment in a way that lines up with the type of person we want to be in a way that's compassionate and kind to ourselves and others. And that really is like journey because sometimes we kind of get a little bit off track and a little bit more on track, uh, sort of like in yoga, if you're doing a balanced pose, you're never really fully balanced. You're always making those little micro adjustments to get yourself closer to your center. But even the most experienced yoga practitioner, when they're in tree pose, they're just making little tiny lefts and rights to stay aligned. And I think that the same is true for our psychology as well. I love that. And I I love that you
1: acknowledge it. There's no like end point is there, you know, the most advanced practitioner is always moving. You know, we've always got something that we're balancing that we're navigating. There's always a journey to unfold.
0: Yeah. I think that's why I've always loved yoga as a pairing to psychology because so much of our relationship with our body can teach us about our relationship with our mind and our relationship with discomfort too, because so much of yoga teaches us about how to be with discomfort and that, that edge of being with and making space for it. So say you're like in a forward fold or something like that, how to be with and make space for it without pushing yourself too far into it, that you're actually causing, you know, more suffering, but also being willing to stay with it and be on that edge, that little zone of flexibility to move yourself, to open up a little bit more. And yoga teaches us a lot about that, then we can use it with things like our anxiety or how to stay in a conflict a little longer or conversation about racism, like all sorts of things that can be quite uncomfortable, but maybe quite important to do.
1: Uncomfortable and important. This is this is an interesting area. So it's not running away from things. It's being present with things when something's important, even if it's uncomfortable. And I'm keen to learn more about this. I guess just kind of highlighting to maybe some of the uncomfortable decisions. You also mentioned how important yoga is to you and what teachings there are there. And you made a really important, and I'm imagining at times it might have felt like an uncomfortable decision, you know, when you were, you know, figuring out your PhD and your path ahead to actually divert to doing your yoga yoga teacher training. So can you maybe as a teaching point, share with us that decision and how, you know, you took a step forward in, in living your, you know, values-based life and what, what that meant for you, how that looked.
0: Well, life is a series of uncomfortable decisions, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what a motto. Um, we need that on our t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I and mean, we can talk about that related to motherhood a little bit later, but um, yeah. yeah. So, so when I was in my, um, my PhD program, I, you know, I have a a long history with, um, striving and striving in a lot of ways has actually been my frenemy. It's gotten me to great places in the world, like getting into a PhD program. And then it also can, can be something that I use as an experiential avoidance strategy. I use it to avoid the discomfort of, you know, maybe feeling like I'm not good enough or, um, uncertainty and anxiety. And when I was in my PhD program, it was quite a stressful situation. And I also got caught in that striving. And my, my, actually I went in to go study eating disorders because I had a history of my own eating disorder. And in some ways you could think about an eating disorder as like the Olympian of striving. You're doing everything that society has told you to do to be successful in the world and you're miserable, right? Mm-hmm. And so here I am in this PhD program studying eating disorders. And I'm hooked. I'm caught. I'm in my striving cycle. And before I, um, left for my program, I made this commitment to myself and in act. There's a big importance of commitment and committed action and commitment is something that we make over and over again. But my commitment was to my recovery and to my health. And when I caught myself back in that cycle, it became really clear that I needed to take a break and I needed to do what I, what I do, which is take care of myself and get reoriented. And that's what led me to a yoga ashram. Actually, I, I'd been studying yoga for um, a while before I left. And um, side story is that my dad was, um, uh, his teacher was Thich Nhat Hanh, So I had grown up with Thich Nhat Hanh very much in my household. I'd been to Plum Village and, and studied with Thich Nhat Hanh, and, and I'd also really gotten into yoga. And so when I went to the yoga ashram, I got realigned again and I decided, Whoa, what if I go back? What if I go back to school and I do it differently? I do it in a way that integrates what I, what I know and what I've learned from my own recovery history and from my own contemplative practice, but I also stay true to the science side of me. Like there's this whole part of me that loves evidence-based approaches and science and working hard. Like what if I could strive more skillfully? What, if, what if I could achieve without attachment as Rick Hansen would say, what if I could pursue meaningful goals, but not ha- be so caught up in this, this sort of cycle of avoidance. And that really became sort of a launching path for me to get into, act. and um, actually first DBT and then act and um, continue on that path for, I guess, the past 15 or so plus years.
1: That's incredible. What a journey of, you know, this, this, I guess, balancing, isn't it in some ways that you saw something that in some ways, you know, a frenemy, a, a characteristic, a trait that has allowed you to excel in different ways and has also been really challenging. And you found a way to both, you know, to balance, striving and and doing heartfelt committed action daily so tell me about growing up because that sounds like a really unique experience to have grown up with the teachings of Thich Han around you while it sounds like also kind of moving towards an academic um, you know lifestyle and, and opportunity there
0: yeah it was kind of interesting as a kid I went to my mom taught at a Catholic school so my mom grew up in Peru and she was fluent in Spanish. She came back and uh, to the US where her family, she was originally from the US and then grew up in Peru. And she, um, she taught at a Catholic school. So I went to a Catholic school but, my dad was Buddhist, and so it was always this cut kind of, actually it was kind of a thing where I felt like a bit of an outsider. And I was kind of embarrassed of, you know, my kid my friends would come over, and my dad would have like meta you know incense burning and you know, all sorts of things. So I, I don't it sounds idealistic, but I don't know how idealistic it is. You're always embarrassed <laughs> of your parents growing up and Um, in some ways, my pursuit of yoga was my rebellion of like, I'm not going to be Buddhist, but I'll go to (laughs) practice yoga. Um, yoga Yeah. We all, we all rebel in our, in our own different ways, but, but I do think um, Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings really have always stuck with me because what he teaches about is really the, the, um, being present and being, um, really engaged in just the simple things in life and how much that engagement actually can, can bring us such aliveness and, um, an integrity in, 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 our lives. And he also was an incredible, um, social activist. So, Thich Nhat Hanh was nominated for a peace prize by uh, Martin Luther King, and he actually met with Martin Luther King like in the the late '60s, and they had conversations about uh, the Vietnam War. War, and he was one of the reasons why Martin Luther King came out against the Vietnam War soon before Martin Luther King was assassinated. And so, here was this man that like taught the simplicity of like drinking a cup of tea and how to be mindful and present, but then also had such passion for making change in the world. And he was just, he's just a very inspirational part of my life. Um, and makes me also realize that I can just be mindful in the simple things. Like my kids are going to come home in like 40 minutes and I'm done with my day. And I can just spend a moment with them, like engaging with them as they walk in the door and appreciating them that in doing that, I'm actually making change in the world too, because I'm teaching them about how to be present.
1: It's really beautiful, and what a nice sharing of, you know, the way... We as individuals might experience the world like it's really interesting that you highlight, you know, as a child some of these things that sound idealistic. Now <laughs> we're not experienced as such, but the the beauty of some of the teachings that that you were introduced to at an early age, I'm sure that's made quite a difference. As much as there might have been a rebellion, that the capacity to be present with simple things and and delight in those and live with integrity is really is really there, is established. Your kids coming home, so compassion and motherhood. But tell me about this framework. You know, I believe you mentioned it was Paul Gilbert's work, and I'm curious as to to how it exists in your daily life and what we we can learn from from this practice.
0: Well, I, you know, I've been deeply impacted by Paul Gilbert. He he's part of the or founded the Compassionate Mind Foundation in the UK. And what I appreciate about him is that he talks about compassion flowing three ways. So. I think in at least here in the US, um, self-compassion has gotten more popular in Kristin Neff's self-compassion, which is a beautiful aspect and very necessary in motherhood. Self-compassion is one way in which compassion flows. So being able to give compassion to ourselves, compassion being when we experience a moment of suffering, recognizing that everyone suffers sometimes, and can I be kind to myself in this moment? Self-compassion in motherhood is key right? So there's lots of moments of suffering, right? There's, there's the moments of suffering of like, I just screwed up. I just yelled at my bickering kids in the back of the car. And I'm so like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Right. That actually could benefit from some self compassion. I was at my wit's end and I felt, you know, I lost it. And how can I be kind to myself and understanding every mother loses it at sometimes. Right. But there's another two components of compassion that I think are really important. And in this flow of compassion the second one is the ability to receive compassion. And I think that a lot of times as mothers, we have a hard time taking in the help, taking in the care. And that can be a really important part of, of being a mother. I mean, you know, we date back to allo parenting. We're, we're meant to, to co-parent in large groups and help each other out. And a lot of our parenting is alone these days. So being able to take in the care from others is really important. And we have some, I think, sometimes belief systems around needing to do it all alone, all on our own, or we're weak. Um, We have fears about taking in care from others, what that would mean if we become dependent. And then the third part of this flow of compassion. So we have self-compassion, we have our ability to take in care. And then the third part is about giving compassion. And I actually think that's one of the real sweet things of motherhood how much joy i get in in being able to be there for my kids when they need me and then it actually can be something that revitalizes us my kids still i have an 8 year old and a 12 year old and I don't want to tell you this, um, Caitlin, because it's gonna.
1: <laughs> so still the wake up the listeners.
0: Yeah. I have a baby. I have, I have um, a baby and a toddler, so. Yeah. Okay, they still wake up in the middle of the night. <laughs> oh no, my twelve-year-old. I mean... My twelve-year-old still calls for me, and. Um, <laughs> you know, and and, and but... I, go, I go in there, and you know, there's like the drudgery of like, oh my gosh, this is the middle of the night. I just want to sleep, right? But by the time I get in there and I still will climb up to the top bunk, I can barely fit in the bed with him at this point, but I will climb in there. And, and it is this moment of like, I'm here for him. And it feels really, really good to give compassion when he needs it. He had some kind of scary dream or something he's stressed out about, and he's still calling for me. So how lovely is that? I hope he'll still call me when he's 28 too. Oh, I hope so. I hope so, you know? (laughs) But but that's you know, and then I'll have some self compassion when he doesn't. So that's the flow, right? (laughs) Um, But but it really does. It helps us be able to navigate the hard stuff in life. And there's so much hard stuff to being a mom. Um, Compassion is the solve. It's the it's the it's the sort of nutrients that we that we can plant these seeds of motherhood in, and hopefully be able to sustain the immense care that we have for our children while also caring for ourselves
1: that's really beautiful. I love and I I mean I think it might have been deliberate but you use the word that there's these sweet moments and that the sweetness of showing up and giving compassion and care for your children is Is really nurturing for you as well and it highlights something i think you're right that there's common belief systems a way that we've been maybe indoctrinated into our understanding of motherhood and there is a lot of languaging around self-sacrificing and here's an opportunity to actually look and give and allow that to fill us up at the same time that there can be a both experience to it both of us can be served in this this connection and this offering of compassion
0: Yeah. I mean, I think motherhood has so many sweet spots and then it has endless sad spots. Um, It's a series of, of letting goes. Right. Mm -hmm. I I remember one day like realizing, oh my gosh, like when was the last time I pushed my kid on a swing? I don't even, I can't remember the last time. It just, it's just sort of stopped happening right or you know when they're little babies when was the last time that um that I that I nursed him right i don't remember like i don't if i knew it was the last time i would have done things so differently all these moments of sadness of our kids um but also just the the real struggles of loving something so incredibly much and not being able to fix it for them and choosing not to fix some stuff for them like there that they, it's really helpful if we don't you know i was actually talking to another mom and she was like we're no there's no lo- it's not longer it's no longer helicopter parents it's um steamroller parents they just go in and like clear the whole path right and that really our job is not to be steamrollers and clear the path but we have to kind of leave some bumps in the road for our kids to trip over and that is painful <laughs> you know yeah. but that's again where compassion shows up because there's a bigger purpose to that there's a there's a um and values as well. And act, there's like a bigger meaning behind doing that, letting our kids experience life and come against challenges and navigate them and get stronger in the process of it.
1: This is a really interesting point. So that in stepping back and leaving some of those bumps and actually seeing our kids in these moments of suffering and struggle and pain to allow them to have that experience, knowing that this is important for their path and stepping back that being aligned with values, that being a practice of compassion, how do you go about ensuring you've got enough in your cup to regulate in those moments? Because I wonder how this relates to your practices of self care, you know, and where yoga and contemplative practice might fit in in terms of how you then show up in those moments of intensity.
0: Yeah, you know, I think one of my real challenges as a mom has been. I, I think when I had younger kids especially um yoga and meditation have always been how I how I source. And then all of a sudden you have a toddler and a baby like you do and the expectation to go do a yoga practice becomes like another to do and then all of a sudden I feel guilty that I'm not doing my self-care. So I just want to start by saying It's really important that we don't load on to mothers that they need to be doing self-care and because they're not doing self-care, they're not good enough moms because it could be like another, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's cruel. It's totally cruel. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. so let's just start there. Um, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It's about flexibility. And it's about one of my mentors is Rick Hansen, who I just adore as a human and as a, and as a teacher. And he talks about this concept. Um, I did. I had him on a summit that I did on striving a while back. It's a free summit, and it's on my website. People can actually go uh, participate in it and see Rick Hansen's talk and lots Perfect. of other really I'll amazing people. Put the people. link in the show notes, yeah, listeners. Yeah, but um, but he talked in about it. He talked about psychological hydration, and it's sort of like how do you throughout your day do those little micro doses of of self care practices. Everything from like for me, like a micro dose of self care is between uh, sessions. I do 50 minute sessions. I don't write my note, although probably be nice if I did, but I really take those 10 minutes to go just walk outside. Sometimes I'll walk to the mailbox. Sometimes I'll go feed my chickens. Sometimes I'll just drink a glass of water without my phone, without anything to just have a peace, peace and quiet of 10 minutes. 10 minutes. And that can kind of be my psychological hydration to get into the next client. So sometimes that's the case of of taking those, taking, turning whatever your hour long yoga practice before kids was into now it's like a five minute practice. When I read with my kids, um, well, I started realizing like, I want to take care of my body while I'm reading with my kids. So we started doing things like reading with our legs up the wall. Okay. And I we'd re- lie on the floor and read with our legs up the wall. I'm like I'm doing the end of my yoga practice right now, right? And and how can I stack my life? How can I stack some things that are nourishing to me that 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 um are values aligned with, within my within my parenting? And sometimes that's like, you know, when I'm doing an arts and craft project, I'm doing it too. I'm not just cleaning it up and setting it up. I'm actually sitting down and painting. And it's wonderful, you know? So I, I think it, with parenting, you got to kind of get it in where you can fit it in and not have to have these expectations around what like the ideal, you know, self-care practices because
1: it's I like that there's it. an element of playfulness in some of this as well. Like what another delightful way of existing in this experience where it can be tiring and, you know, there is a lot of energy that goes out and here's a chance to play, you know, and delight.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, kids teach us a lot about play, right? They that's a definitely one of those gifts of, of being a parent is learning about how to be curious, how to have a beginner's mind, how to be open-minded. Um, so that's a wonderful thing. They teach yeah. us a lot, a lot about some of these core practices that are, you know, would be healthy for us to do a little bit more of
1: (laughs) and open-mindedness too in thinking of oh how can I read with my kids how can I show up and how can I bring these things you know into into life in a way that integrates with with the, the season that you're in in the moment I think that's really nourishing and flexible and permissive you know it kind of gives us as parents as mothers the chance to know that we don't have to air quotes have to do hours of yoga or hours of meditation or you know make these (laughs) well-designed meals or things like this that it's actually just showing up daily and finding these moments where we can so in terms of you know, yoga and act. Cause we've said act a few times. So listeners, a lot of you will know about acceptance and commitment therapy. If you've been listening for a while, for some of you it might be news to your little earbuds. So acceptance and commitment therapy, Diana, tell us about this.
0: Well, act is sort of a modern approach to therapy and it, it can be a therapy, but it can also be a training. So they're using it for everything from anxiety disorders and depression to um, Olympic athletes and high performers and corporations, leadership groups. And what it's about is developing your psychological flexibility. It's has sort of these core processes associated with it, six core processes. And that's what uh, Debbie Sorensen and I, who co-wrote the book with me sort of break down act into these six core processes that you apply to to your life. Things like being present practicing acceptance and willingness, being able to step back from your thoughts. So like being able to notice that your head is telling you all sorts of things, but not always having to listen to it, which isn't that relieving, um, things like practicing perspective, taking perspective, taking on your own self, on your own life, zooming out from time to time and asking yourself what's really important here, values, knowing what you care about and lining up your behavior to match that. And then committed action, which is sort of that daily commitment to living to the best of your ability in alignment with your values, noticing when you're off track, practicing compassion and getting back on track again. Those are the six core processes of act. And there's lots of ways to learn act. You can, you can do it with a therapist, but you can also do it on your own. I have an online course that walks you through the six core processes. Um, it's sort of a, it's an ongoing thing that you kind of do for the rest of your life sort of like yoga. Yeah.
1: So you have your online course and you mentioned your book, which is the act journal. So could you tell us, a little bit about the book and, you know, people who are, you know, maybe in the journey of motherhood who are like, Oh, how would I do this? I think it can be done in little snips too. Can't it? So,
0: yeah, you know, the book is, is written in these sort of eight chapters and each chapter has a day, uh, has seven days and it breaks down the process. So for example, our first chapter is on compassion and intentional use of time. And there would be seven, seven days. And each day would have like a little suggestion of what you could try out today, a little space to write about an exercise or a thought. And it takes about 10 minutes to complete. But when I'm, when I'm working with moms, what I tell them to do is like, just pick up the book and like, open it to some random page. And that's your, that's your day. <laughs> you don't even have Perfect. to do an order. You don't <laughs> even have to finish the whole thing. But if you're feeling like I'm at my wits end, open the book to a day. And I guarantee you, I mean, you could even do it now. I don't know if you have the book, Caitlin, but if you just open it up to a random day, you'll get something out of it because sometimes we need someone outside of our own head (laughs) to help us. And that's what uh, Debbie Sorensen and I, who's, who's also a mom and a psychologist wanted to offer folks of how do you actually take these principles that have been used in you know therapy and have been researched and have all this evidence behind them how do you actually apply them in your life what does that look like and Debbie and I share some stories little little vignettes throughout and talking about how we apply them because i believe in storytelling i think that storytelling is a wonderful way to communicate ideas
1: and I think it it shares too that we're we've got similar journeys, don't we? You know, this is the beautiful thing is you go, oh, someone who from the outside lens looks like they have it all together has the very human challenges of being a mom and of balancing life.
0: Yeah. You know, there's there's dangers of of looking like you have it all together. I um I used to throw these really crazy birthday parties for my kids. And I can strive at pretty much anything, including birthday party throwing. <laughs> And I remember, bacon than I, am. <laughs> I am really into baking cakes, and and my mother, my mother-in-law, who's very wise, came came up to me at one of these parties, and she said, "Diana, I wonder if these parties make the other moms like you more, or like you a little less." <laughs> I was like, that
1: is very wise," right.
0: <laughs> and then and then I realized, oh yeah, and then earlier. When I was getting so obsessive about this birthday party, my son, who was the birthday boy, tried to interrupt me about something and I was irritable and mean towards him, the birthday boy. So what is really, is this really lining up with the type of person that I want to be in the world, right? So I do think we can spend a lot of time kind of manicuring how things look like on the outside, but on the inside, it doesn't look so great, or we could spend a lot of time on taking care of our insides and let go of what the outsides look like a little bit more. And ultimately, then we start to feel better in our lives instead of like all the effort we put into the the fluff and puff of everything. That's
1: such a beautiful reminder. And thank you for sharing that very real, very real story, because this is often what we're seeing, you know, in an age of social media is we're seeing, you know, a snapshot of something we're not seeing the entirety of it. And I really appreciate, you know, you linking it to something that a lot of us do care about. We care about connecting with people and having meaningful relationships and maybe an opportunity to step back and go actually being perfect is not the way that we connect that actually there's a sharedness and kind of the messiness of life in this experience.
0: Yeah. You know, perfectionism is another kind of interest area of mine. And I, um, I interviewed on that same summit, I interviewed this woman named, um, Monica, uh, Basco, and she was a mom of three kids. She's a Mexican American psychologist, and she worked under Obama in the white house. And she talked about perfectionism. And what she talked about is that sometimes perfectionism is helpful. She said, you know, when I used to work on these research projects for the NIH, I was a perfectionist. (laughs) I double-checked, I triple-checked, I made it, like I made sure, but in other areas, it wasn't helpful for me to be a perfectionist. And so it really changed my, my idea of sort of how could we be more, if you lean towards perfectionism, which I do, how can you be a flexible perfectionist? Be a perfectionist where it matters to you or where it's really important to be. Like if you're a surgeon, please be perfectionist. you're <laughs> Thank there. you very much. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your perfectionism, <laughs> but get flexible where it matters less and stop wasting your energy, right? Stop, you know, put your energy where you want to put your energy. And I think that's, what's kind of interesting about this whole act model is that flexibility can spill into every single arena of our life. And the more flexible we become, then the more freedom we have in our life to pursue meaningful pursuits, because we're just super flexible, which is kind of like yoga, you know? Bringing it back to yoga, you know, and you mentioned the
1: six core processes of ACT. I'm a big believer that yoga can be like this experiential playground where we actually bring, you know, the different, um, I guess the the different processes of act to kind of unfold in an environment that is a little bit more structured where there aren't so many distractions so we can walk off the mat and into our lives a little bit more. I see you nodding. I'm curious about how yoga works for you and how, how yoga maybe shows up and supports you in, in living your, you know, values-based life. (laughs)
0: Oh, I love, I love yoga. I love yoga for many reasons. One is the, the asana, which is what we're kind of talking about today. And and I think it's important to honor that, that yoga has eight limbs to it. And asana is, is just one of the eight limbs. So asana is the physical practices that you would go if you went to a yoga class and you do these postures. The other limbs of yoga are things like the yamas and the niyamas, which are the principles of yoga, Mm -hmm. the ethical principles, things like um, doing self-study, practicing santosha, which is contentment, practicing um, letting go of parigatha, Like, how can I just completely surrender and let go? Right. So those are some of the, not the Yamas and the niyamas, And then there's concentration practices of yoga. There's all sorts of other parts of it. So it's kind of important because I think, especially here in the U S we get latched on to just the Asana part, uh, the physical posture, because that's, what's gotten Mm -hmm. popular, but actually when um, yoga was, was started it, that wasn't even considered to be the most important part. It's helping us. Wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but it does. I mean, I think the physical posture part of yoga, What I love about it is is this this balance of effort and surrender and the contrast of that, which really maps onto our life. Everything from doing like a vigorous sun salutation and then pausing at the top of the mat with your hands together and namaste and letting your system settle into stillness. And gosh, wouldn't that be nice if like I was in a heated argument with my spouse and I could find a way to settle into my center and and connect more with him and have one eye in with what's happening inside of me and one eye out connecting with him. Like that's that's something I wanna I wanna do a good job of. And sometimes I can I can start to see how that feels on the mat. So then I can bring it into the relationship. Corpse pose is another one. The full surrender at the end of the practice that's just as important as all the other parts of the practice to completely just let go have every single muscle fall off of my body. I don't need to hold on to my face anymore. I don't need to hold on to my shoulders. I don't need to hold on to my belly. Oh my gosh, women are taught to suck it in like let it go <laughs> and <Frozen>. fully surrender. <laughs> yeah. yeah and and in doing that I mean that's a practice in itself. What if I could bring that complete surrender to I you know I just submitted a proposal to something that I'm really scared about. And I'm really, you know, really want it to go well. What if I could practice complete surrender in response to that? Like I could let it go fully. So I think that, you know, there's a bit of metaphor to yoga and life, but a lot of this is also just sort of embodiment and, um, and, and feeling some of these states of being within your body, which then can translate into your life
1: incredible I think that's a really nice way of putting it to this embodiment this being able to feel and it's interesting because in yoga there's you know the koshas and you know these different body states which I think also links to In act, there's the framework of the thinking mind and the observing sort of self and I I think that there's lots that can be learned from the yoga philosophy and you highlighted there you know yamas and niyamas and the roles that they can have that there's a lot of overlap and different languaging perhaps that we use in these different frameworks
0: I think what's interesting is if you start to zoom out and look at a lot of the wisdom traditions, yoga being one of them, Buddhism, Christianity, Islam, I mean, a lot of these you know, wisdom traditions, if you look at a lot of the therapies, ACT, CBT, but Jungian approaches, Rogerian approaches, you'll start to boil down and see that there's some key processes involved. And I really think that part of the reason why I named my, my podcast, your life in process is because I really think that process sort of has, there's sort of two meanings to that. One is that there's key processes to human flourishing, being able to be present in your, in your life, being able to accept and be open to discomfort. Those are processes that if you get a handle on them, you will, you will be a lot more functional and a lot, you know, you'll do a lot better in the world, you know? Um, And then the process aspect of it, which is being in the process, as opposed to being, you know, sort of always geared towards some end point, you know, being in the process of how do I want to show up in, in, in this moment, in this conversation with Caitlin, how do I want to show up right now that, that lines up with the type of person that I want to be. So, I think it's, you know, we kind of, a lot of times when I'm, people are learning act, they're like, oh, but that is exactly like, you know, psychodynamics, complexes, you know, and and we just have different words for some of the same stuff. And it's because it's stuff that works.
1: Yeah. We're all pointing. So can you share Diana with listeners? You know, you've got a new podcast coming out. You've got a few offerings. Do you mind just sharing with listeners how they can connect with you following, you know, hearing you and kind of. I guess, getting a bit of a sense of the wisdom you are teaching today.
0: Well, drdianahill.com is sort of my my landing page where you can see my my podcast there. Um, you can read my blog and you can, you know, learn about some of the online course that I'm offering and any events that I'm involved in. And then Instagram, you know, talk about frenemies. <laughs> I was often, I was, I was successfully never signed up for a social media account until about a little over like a year and two months ago. And when I came out with this book, um, it became really clear that I needed to have some kind of social media presence. If everyone to sell a book, <laughs> if everyone to get the word out, you have to, people need to hear where you're, you know, I can't just tell my friends. And so um, it's been a real practice for me of how to be in that world and try and put out information that is values aligned and that hopefully helps people with always the intention of, I want to help people and, um, not do harm and also aware of how images can be very, um, painful for people and, and and not helpful. So it's always, you know, it's like, I want, I want to put a pretty picture of my office, but then I'm also kind of want to show like, this is, you know, also what my office looks like. I'm mean, going to have some <laughs> behind the scenes mess pictures too, because, um, Thank you. gosh, what, what a, challenging world we, we live in now with, with social media, it's, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it?
1: it really is and it? it's really interesting that there is these behind the scenes because truthfully some of the things that um i myself have put on social media and have gained some traction have been when i have walked around the chaos of of the house with young ones <laughs> and yeah. talked through the process of compassion practices in these contexts so i think people will appreciate your behind the scenes as much as they really appreciate the integrity of what you're offering and sharing with them diana that's such such a gift and listen, so you'll be at at diana hill i believe is it Dr. 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 Diana Hill on um, social media as well. So people who are kind of tracking you down there can, can connect and soak up your teachings. Thank you so much for creating the space today. And yeah, sharing this time with us before you head into, you know, your loved practice, your compassion practice of being with, with your children as they, as they get home from their school day.
0: Well, thank you too. Thanks for taking some time away from your baby. It's probably, much needed time, but also it can be hard to get away to, to make these podcasts happen. I know as a podcaster, how much work goes into this and, and it's sort of, it's a labor of love. So thank you for offering this podcast to all of your listeners and having a space for me to come chat. And it seems like we have a lot in common. So I'm looking forward to developing our relationship more.
1: Yes. I'm sure we will be continuing this conversation further. So thank you so much, Diana. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Diana Hill as much as I did. So head to drdianahill.com to connect with her at Dr. Diana Hill on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. She is showing up there and offering her wisdom, her teachings in a very real way. As you've heard, it would also be, you know, aligned. If it interests you to grab her ACT journal, you can look at her introduction to ACT online course as well. So these are brilliant offerings that, you know, may support you in your journey. The links will all be in the show notes. And if learning more about ACT and yoga specifically is interesting to you, head to drkaitlin.com backslash yoga brain, and you can learn more about my eight week yoga and acceptance commitment therapy course there, where we learn how yoga can be an experiential playground for these skills of psychological flexibility, as well as positioning this within an evolutionary framework, understanding why some things can be so hard, so painful, so challenging for us, and how we hold that while moving forward in cultivating a life of meaning and purpose, cultivating a sense of vitality. So I look forward to connecting with you next week on Wisdom for Wellbeing, dropping back in your earbuds then. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating, or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.